0: Welcome back to 15 on the 15th, our bite-sized book club series featuring podcasts designed to help you digest short articles, no more than 15 minutes of reading, we promise. This 15-minute recipe for success is a pinch of insightful reading and a dash of engaging discussion that blends together research and classroom practice. My name is Jenny Dees, and I am one of the coordinators of the ENL program here at the University of Notre Dame. I'm joined today by my colleague, Claire Roach. Hey, everyone. And we have a special guest joining us today, Courtney O'Grady. Courtney is an outstanding early childhood educator at St. Raymond Catholic School in the Diocese of Joliet, which is near Chicago. Courtney is also a graduate of the ENL program, ENL 10, right, Courtney? Yep. And a mother of two adorable little boys and a lover of Disney. Courtney, thanks so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you with us to talk about this very important topic, early childhood education. I wanted to begin by letting you and Claire explain a little bit about um, the perspective from which you come to this conversation with. So I'll turn it over to Claire first.
1: So um, I actually don't have a wealth of experience in early childhood education. Um, but for the last year and a half, I have been helping to coordinate the implementation of a two-way Spanish immersion program at the preschool level. So although I don't have years and years and years of experience at this level, I've had some um, intense and wonderful last couple of months, and I've
2: learned a lot. Courtney, how about you? Hey, well, my heart really is in early childhood education, and I think that the work that we're doing to create kind, caring, and inclusive early childhood classroom communities is more essential now than ever before, and it really is inherent in our mission as Catholic educators. And in early childhood, I think that we just hold such a unique responsibility as we're the first ones to really welcome families, and that we really set the tone for that child and their family. Um, And so where I'm at now, it's in a more traditional classroom. I'm in a preschool teacher in a Catholic grammar school that goes up to eighth grade, and the number of language learners that I have each year fluctuates. Um, I've had as few as one or two to as many as five, and um, a variety of languages, Polish, Mandarin, but predominantly Spanish. Courtney, that passion is exactly why we invited
1: you to join our conversation today. I am so glad you are with us.
0: So to frame our conversation today, we suggested that you read the article dual language learners effective instruction in early childhood education written by Goldenberg Hicks and lit um, and this article really was a review of the research surrounding the area of early um, early childhood education and it focuses on four main themes and so I'd love to just run through these themes today and have you both speak to these themes the first one was on employing a a child's home language in the early childhood curriculum. And I was hoping you could just share some stories or tidbits about how you see that a child's home language being used effectively in the early childhood classroom.
2: Courtney, why don't you start? Okay. Well, I just want to emphasize, first of all, that language builds language. So strong... Um, skills in a child's first language are essential for success with their second language development. So that's why I think there's an important distinction in early childhood where we refer to language learners as dual language learners because we understand that children are still developing their first language or their native language. So even the children that I have that are solely English speakers, I would consider them as also being language learners because they're, still, they're not proficient. They haven't reached proficiency in English. So I think it's important to realize that. All children in preschool classrooms are language learners. Um, so I think it's really important at this age level to connect with families to learn who speaks what and where. So I remember at a school that I taught at previously, I had a child who spoke Korean with her mother, Arabic with her father, and then spoke English with me so that it was important for me to understand what context she was using, what language is in, and, so, and I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't spoken with her family. So, and I think along with that, with getting to know families, it's important to build on the knowledge that a child has or comes in with. Um, and then as far as other using, using the child's home language, I think it's important to understand as the teacher that, of course, you're not going to be an expert or proficient in a child's first language, but to still make an effort. So as the article suggests, you know, things like supplementing a book that you're reading to point out um, word similarities or Things that you could say in the child's um, primary language. And also, I think it's important that in the classroom that any print that's in your environment should also reflect Home languages that are in use. So obviously things like books in the classroom library, but also thinking about things like how materials are labeled. And for me, I think it's important to have play materials in the dramatic play area, for example, you could go to um, a local, for example, like Asian grocery store and make sure that you have cereal boxes or things that use that child's first language. So um, just making sure that the language is reflected across contexts in your classroom. So from the dramatic play area to the storybook area to labels so that a child feels welcome and at home.
1: And just to piggyback off of that, Courtney, since I did a lot of purchasing of materials for our preschool over the last year. Uh, most of the preschool providers, Lakeshore Learning, Discount, School Supply, um, have sections dedicated to diverse contexts. So um, it's not very hard anymore, thankfully, to find, for example, um, dolls and figurines of many ethnic backgrounds. But the idea about getting cereal boxes, that is a f- fabulous idea. I've not ever heard that shared before. Have you, Jenny? No. that was, I love it. That
0: was wonderful.
1: And honestly, it's a reason for teachers to go out and explore um, different types of supermarkets that they might not otherwise have done. I just want to highlight something that you said because I think it's so important. And sometimes it means that we have to fight our natural instinct, which is to fear that which we don't know. And um, and I think it's so important for early childhood educators in particular to recognize that the child's home language is an asset, right? This is a strength that this child has. And our where our creative genius comes in is how we leverage it. And I think the example you provided of cereal boxes or soup cans or what it, what have you is an example of how a teacher helps a child leverage the talent or the knowledge that he or she already has um, for extended or expanded learning. Um, You know, another idea that jumped out at me, Jenny, when I read um, this particular theme, employing children's home language is all the ways that we have learned to access a home a home language, whether it's things like Google Translate, which we all know is not perfect, but it can be an avenue to find out how you say something in another language. You can use a parent, a co-teacher, um, to help you make a connection. And of course, oftentimes, our students themselves are experts. Um, and we can dignify our students by saying, how do you say this? It's a little harder at early elementary school age. But um, and then the other thing, I thought about with this too is that I think a lot of schools should really be rethinking the aid position and the extent to which a teacher's aid can be a bridge to a language and a culture because very often um, the requirements for certification and licensure for teacher's aides is not nearly as complicated as it is for the teacher, him or herself. Um, And and we have found we we have some incredible aides at our school this year, two of whom are um, of Mexican heritage and the windows that they have opened to culture, to learning, um, to family practices have been magnificent. And I really want to encourage more schools to think about how they might place people um, in aid positions strategically to be able to really capitalize on those home language and home culture connections.
0: Thank you, ladies. So many great strategies and suggestions shared in that section of our conversation. And that's a great springboard to number two, which focuses particularly on effective strategies, effective practices for dual language learners and English speakers in our early childhood education programs. Can I ask you to elaborate a little bit more on strategies that you found to be really successful in the early childhood setting? So I'll start, Courtney, I'll jump in with this one.
1: You know, I'm, I am a huge advocate for purposeful language and vocabulary development. Um, and what I have found to be especially effective is when I see teachers really understand that for a child to understand and access a vocabulary word, to internalize that language inside their head, they need repeated exposure. And I'll give you an example of what I witnessed in a hall in a school uh, a couple months ago. The child was very upset. Courtney, this is going to surprise you. (laughs) The child was upset because he was the last child in line, Um, which obviously happens all the time in preschool. Nobody wants to be the last kid in line. And I turned to the child and I said, well, you know, Juan Carlos, you get to be the caboose. That's so special. And I was talking about a caboose and I realized he didn't know what a caboose was. Um, and I just sort of said something to the preschool teacher that this was in an all English context. Um, you know, I don't think Juan Carlos knows what a caboose is and it might be very helpful. And she said, oh, no, no, no. We just read a book on it the other day. He knows what it is. And I was, I smiled and wanted to look at her and say, well, I'm not sure he does. Um, and that's probably because he saw or heard the word once or twice. When really, um, when you recognize that a child doesn't yet know a word, we need to ha- provide for that child an opportunity to engage with that word multiple times in lots of different contexts and being mindful that our children that speak two languages or more um, often have limited vocabulary in one language or the other. So my big suggestion on this is teachers really embrace teaching vocabulary, not as an afterthought, but as a very purposeful um, task inside the classroom.
0: And we've talked extensively in the podcast about the importance of vocabulary instruction. And you can reference other podcasts to give you ideas on effective ways to do that. But Claire, thank you for mentioning that because it's so important, particularly at this level when children are acquiring so many new words every single day. Courtney, anything to add to this conversation or to build on? Um, Yeah, I would just add off of that just to say
2: that um, in early childhood circles, we think of the environment as the third teacher, so really starting kind of baseline before the children even walk in, thinking about how, what does the environment communicate, and how can you support children through the environment, I would say would be a first important step in preparing to support dual language learners, and then I think for me, the number one thing that I use and that I found to be helpful is visuals. I use visuals for everything so and i find that a lot of these strategies that support my dual language learners really support all the students in my classroom so for example like we have a visual schedule that's not just for my language learners that's for or my dual language learners that's for everybody but it really helps for children to know especially when they don't understand anything that's coming out of my mouth to say oh mom you know mom will be back soon." Or when you're trying to soothe separation anxiety issues it's so helpful to have picture representations of what our day looks like so that kids know what to expect. And I would say um, even for for dual language learners, you can simplify and make even a first then schedule and to use um, a mix of, you can find like clip art or the the Head Start Center for Inclusion is a fabulous resource for visuals they've got and they're um, early childhood specific. So you'll find things that are typical for what you would see in a preschool day. So I use a combination in my classroom of pictures of real pictures and um, images from the Head Start Center for Inclusion. And I also use visuals kind of across the board with my teaching, so not just for our schedule, but um, we use visuals a lot for social and emotional skills, so that helps kids to navigate through play situations. So we have, um, like, um, visuals for problem-solving skills. We have visuals for self-regulation. We have visuals for um, things like that, which help, like I said, kind of help all children. But I know um, for kids that have come to me not speaking or understanding a word of English, visuals have been the biggest help and support. So do you just print these out
1: on your printer or your color copier and laminate them? Mm -hmm. Do you use them in binder form from time to time? What does it actually look like in your classroom? I'm fascinated by this, Courtney.
2: Okay. So I have, and it depends, you know, you really want to meet the needs of the individual classes that you have. So for this year, I just have one laminated um, picture schedule. But like I said, in the past, I've broken our schedule down even to in smaller pieces. So first we go to gym, then we have
0: mm-hmm. circle
2: time or whatever. And that would be on more of like an individual board. If that makes it, or like individual strips, you can do um, like velcro pieces so that the kids can kind of take off and say like, okay, now we're done with this. This is, it's hard to explain without mm-hmm. having the yeah, three, I really wish you had a video, but um, <laughs> but I just heard you
1: reinforce academic vocabulary first, then finally.
2: So, great work. And then, like for example, um, with the social emotional strategies this year, my class was having a really hard time understanding what it means to ignore someone. So that one, I printed out real big and it's hanging up in um our dramatic play area because that's where we were having a lot of issues with what does when someone is bothering you, what you what can you do. Well, and ignore is a solution that we need a lot of times. So that one, for example, is, and that's from the Head Start Center for Inclusion. It's printed out, laminated, and hung up where it was needed. So Jenny, I think we need to put a link
1: on this podcast to the Head Start Center for Inclusion
2: website or the part of the website that has all these pictures available. I'm very fascinated. Oh, they're awesome. And then um, something else that we've been using with um, self-regulation is they have a thing called dragon Breath. So it has a picture of a dragon and the idea is that you teach kids how to do deep breathing, but the imagery is breathe in like you're smelling a flower, breathe out like you're blowing out a birthday cake. Mm. And it's it's amazing. We do dragon breaths every morning when we come in before we start circle time and it calms them all down. Oh, I'm going back to my preschool teachers
1: tomorrow to recommend some of these tips.
0: This is fascinating. So many more things besides just the academic component, but the social skills that you're teaching these children and the rich context in which, in which you're reinforcing all of this is just absolutely beautiful. I know that we're getting crunched on time, but we have two more important topics I'd love to address. One is how to support and not just support but promote the home language in the classroom. And the other um, topic would be involving families in your child's learning. And I have a hunch that these might overlap a little bit. But again, I'd love to hear how you see this done in the classroom most effectively.
2: Courtney, why don't you take it first? Sure. I would just say for the first part, um, just to make sure that you're taking care to be supportive of and make, and um, defend developmentally appropriate practice. So children at this age level really need to be playing. And that's the best opportunity they have to build relationships. And it plays the work of a young child. So you really should not be doing things like worksheets that would add additional barriers and difficulties for your dual language learners. They really don't have a place in early in best practices. So just have to throw that in there too that you know you have to part of your role is to be an advocate. So just making sure that you have that foundational piece of that um, that you're using developmentally appropriate practice. Um, and I think it's critical at this age level to make sure that families feel welcome and included. Um, I actually was in a classroom at the University of Chicago's Lab School this fall, and I saw this really cute idea where they had framed pictures of every family kind of all around the classroom. So they used just cheap but nice-looking frames from Ikea, and they had, you know, that visual, again, to show that every family was not just welcome but valued enough to be framed and on display in the classroom, and I just thought that was beautiful. Um I recommend having a family picnic at the beginning of the school year somewhere in the community, so not at school, but at a place like a park or somewhere that's more familiar to the family so that families feel more comfortable. I highly, highly, highly recommend doing home visits before school starts if possible, especially with kids that are entering school for the first time. Um, Being in regular communication with families. So for me, I send a weekly update to my families. I usually send it on Mondays just with kind of things that are coming up, um, things that they need to know. And then for me, again, with visuals, I include a ton of pictures so that knowing that families, especially um, for my language learner families, that they can at least see what's going on in our classroom. So I'll send between like 20 and 25 pictures every week of things that projects that we've worked on, the kids at play, just things that I want the parents to see to kind of see what their child, how their child spends their time with me. Um, I also try to provide resources for parents in their home language. Another favorite resource of mine, which I can send you the link to, is the Illinois Early Learning Project. Puts out tip sheets for parents that, and every tip sheet is available in Spanish. And then a few other tip sheets are also available in a few other languages. So, um, and there's just tips on early literacy, math, things to do with your child while you're waiting in line at the grocery store, science is just ways that parents can support what you're doing at school at home as well. It's a fabulous, fabulous resource.
1: You know, I always, I'm just going to add to that a really good bridge is making a purposeful effort. And you had mentioned this earlier, Courtney, to try and acquire children's literature, um, In the native languages, because one of the most important messages we want to send home and Goldenberg mentions this is that parents should not feel the need to speak in English at home with their children, that actually they're giving their child a a much greater gift by helping that child to develop rich, robust First language skills. In other words, the child is cognitively ben- benefiting more significantly from dynamic use of language within the home um, than he or she might if it's using limited English. And I think one of the ways that we really convey that message and honestly make it easier on parents is to send home books in that native language and encourage the parents to read in the native language if possible. And so many online printable books now offer Spanish options. So Reading A to Z has a ton of printable books in Spanish um, and actually several other languages. And I know that um, Scholastic Teachables also do too. So if you don't have anything readily available um, In your library or your classroom library, you might actually have access to a lot of this stuff if your school is a subscription to any of these printable books.
0: And I'm going to add on to that. Another great resource for families, both in English and in Spanish, is one of our favorite websites, Colerene Colorado, has lots of great things um, in terms of tips for parents as well. So we'll work on linking to all these wonderful resources um, with the podcast so you can access them. And um, I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for sharing these fantastic strategies. I love the idea of really emphasizing um, what these children do well, which is to learn language and celebrate that process, to play and grow in social skills, and to really see our work in early childhood education as an extension of the family and to make the families feel welcome in our classroom in so many ways, that idea of having family photos was just beautiful. And then to capture, it's so easy on our phones these days to take pictures of our children and to share those with parents. They entrust you with these, these beautiful little people all day long and to be able to say, I'm caring for them and I'm helping them grow and I'm an extension of what you're doing at home is such an important mission. So thank you both for speaking to this important topic today. Um, and for all of our listeners, if you are passionate about ensuring that these little ones and all of our students in Catholic education who come from linguistically and culturally diverse backgrounds are thriving, we invite you to learn more about our program at enl.nd.edu. Please note that applications to become an Enl Hernandez Fellow are currently open and they will close on March 31st. And as always, if you enjoyed this month's conversation, be sure to subscribe to our channel and to share it with a friend. And we love to hear from you. So please send us your feedback as a review in iTunes or send us an email and let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Many blessings on your important work. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much, Courtney. Thank you.